Despite the public criticism, the clamour, an independent commission in charge of investigating workplace health risks at Samsung recently concluded the causal relationship to illnesses among workers was uh, unproven. Beyond Samsung, there has been a lot in the way of work-related pains that seem to be invisible to managers and employers. Today, we speak with a prominent researcher who claims scientists have a key role in building these bridges um, that employers and the public have to cross um, and in fact talks about an empathy gap. Let's now bring in Professor Karen Messing, Emeritus Professor in the Biological Sciences at the University of Quebec at Montreal, author of Pain and Prejudice, What Science Can Learn About Work from the People Who Do It. Also has been working on the subject for nearly four decades and is a recipient of the 2009 Governor-General's Award in Canada. And an absolute pleasure to say good morning to you from Seoul. Good morning to you. So can you tell us a bit more about your story, how a biology professor becomes an advocate for workers? Well, I've been a professor, as you mentioned, for the last 40 years, and I've been in a university that has agreements with various community groups. And the way it works is that the community groups can ask the university for research or for training, and the university has promised to supply uh, the groups with this expertise. And so in that context, I've been asked to do uh, research with a number of uh, groups, uh, mostly unions, but also women's groups. And, uh, some of the very important questions that have been asked of me have been about workers' health and workers' suffering. Well, for many years, Samsung Electronics, for example, has denied responsibility for, for illness and, and even death of workers at its semiconductor plant. Some have suffered from leukemia, there have been reports of brain tumours, but the latest investigation has concluded the company's responsibility is unproven. Now, I know you're not familiar with the Samsung case, but based on your experience uh, and your expertise, how challenging is it to find, to prove correlations between workers' illnesses and their working environment? Well, there's a very uh, conservative strain in science generally, and certainly when it comes to linking uh, workers' exposures to their illnesses, it's always been uh, very, very hard to establish these links. Uh, one of the problems is you have to prove it with such certainty that you will only be wrong five times in a hundred. So if you have a lot of workers being exposed to something uh, and a number of them get sick, it's not enough. You have to go further than that and really get rid of any other possible explanations and you have to establish very strong statistical relationships. And so it takes a very long time and there are a lot of mistakes made and the, unfortunately it's not 50-50 in, in favor of the worker or the company, it's really 95-5 against the worker getting to prove that their exposure uh, has resulted in their illness. So it's, it's a very conservative uh, way to, to do things. 
which will be of great disappointment to activists all over the world, including those here who are trying to campaign on behalf of those workers and their loved ones. Uh, but you've done your own research on refinery workers, haven't you, who are exposed to radiation. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yes, well, I've, I've evolved over the years from one thing to the other. I, I started my my scientific career as a geneticist, and I, I became involved early in my career with a group of workers exposed to a radioactive dust, and that was uh, almost 40 years ago now. And, and we were trying to see whether there were any effects on their genes, on their, on their hereditary material. And we thought there might be because these workers uh, had a number of uh, problems among their children. So we were quite upset about this and quite anxious to prove uh, that there was, uh, well, at least to find a a solution for the problem of the the illnesses of these workers. And uh, it was extremely extremely difficult. It was extremely abstract also because it's very hard for workers to uh, understand exactly what is important about a bunch of little cells in their body that they're never going to see. And so we were showing toxic effects, but they were toxic effects in the laboratory and not in the, in the factory. But what happened was that because we had uh, raised some concerns and the workers were concerned and the factory was concerned, the factory did agree to install uh, new uh, ventilation and some other protections for the workers, and they traded this for us getting out of the factory. So we left, but we do think the workers were somewhat better off. You also mentioned uh, in your book that occupational health risks in women's jobs are often treated as less impressive and obvious than in men's jobs. So even there, there seems to be a distinction, a gender gap, which would skewer even against women further. Can you elaborate on that point? Yes, I would first like to say that I'm terribly grateful to the Korean translators of, of my book. They've done a wonderful job, and I'm extremely flattered that that a professor, a university professor like Ina Kim would devote so much effort to translating the book. I think the reason that the uh, Korean researchers have been interested is that we are one of the few groups uh, to concentrate on women workers, and there's a, a kind of an easy explanation for that, which is that when jobs look really, really dangerous, at least in North America, we send men in. We don't think of women as being able to do the jobs that are extremely dangerous, require enormous amounts, inhuman amounts of force, um, involve racing into burning buildings and rescuing people. Uh, at least in North America, we disqualify women when the, when the job looks very dangerous. So what the risks in women's work tend to be risks that are not so obvious, that, that you need a scientist to, to discover. And so we've been looking at some of those underrated risks. Um, some that I could mention are uh, very, very fast, um, repetitive movements. Now, you're moving your hands quickly but you're not moving a lot of weight. So people don't think it's dangerous, but in fact, repetitive movements can lead to all kinds of musculoskeletal problems and even circulatory problems. 
the same thing with prolonged standing. If people have to stand without moving for a long it does terrible things to their circulation, and they also get back problems and leg problems and foot problems. So that we're, we're dealing with some uh, diseases and conditions that don't look terrible, but they can be involved a great deal of, of suffering for the workers concerned. Yeah, well, it's another problem that Samsung's had to deal with because of its smartphone facilities in Vietnam, where um, there have been great concerns about women having to stand up for long periods of time while working, uh, which draws exactly on the subject you were just mentioning. Is there also a problem when they use men's physiology as a kind of standard for medical experiments when trying to establish occupational health issues? Yes, we've been worrying about this for some time because a lot of the toxic effects, you were referring to the um, microelectronics workers, and one of the uh, questions about microelectronics workers is to do with solvent exposures. And... Almost all the studies of solvent exposures and their effects have been done with men. Now, maybe the, the same results would be true if they had studied women. We don't know this, but since women do have hormonal differences for men and other physiological differences for men, it would be relevant to see if the, some of these effects uh, are different in women. And yet there's so little, particularly in the area of toxicology, of toxic effects on, on uh, the body, uh, almost no work has been done on figuring out whether women react the same way as men. But also in other areas, for example, picking up and carrying things, where you would think it's pretty obvious that uh, we would have to uh, look at a whole range of body types. But very, very little work has been done to understand how women best lift up weights and what we can recommend so that women don't get back aches and, and uh, upper limb problems from manipulating weights. Because women do a lot of uh, manipulating weights in, the, in, the, uh, in hospitals, in healthcare when they're caring for elderly people. And yet there's almost no science that exists on how to do this with a woman's body. Yeah. Well, that is naturally a, a great concern. Your book, by the way, it has a slightly different Korean title, obviously different when you translate it um, into Korean, but it's actually a different translation to start off with. It would be Invisible Suffering in English, or Poiji Anin Gotong. And... Are you quite happy with that? Does that also tell your message pretty aptly? Yeah, I'm ashamed to say that I know no Korean, so I'm dependent on my my uh, wonderful colleagues to to take care of that for me. Uh, but certainly, the the idea of invisible suffering uh, very well characterizes not only women's work but but men's work, and and the most important thing that people tell me and that I see uh, as I study workers, both uh, women and men, uh, is that people don't feel respected in the workplace. And certainly in North America, one of the problems that you can, you can see is that workers' uh, physiological limits are not respected. They're treated sometimes as if they aren't worth anything. Their jobs can be changed without any uh, preliminary notice. 
Uh, their work hours can be changed without any notice. They can be forbidden to do things like going to the bathroom, which are essential human functions. And so I think that the suffering is both mental and emotional and, and physical, and that we really need to be doing something to prevent it. Is it vital that unions step up for these workers? And if not, who else would? Well, certainly we've been working mostly with unions, and and the unions uh, kind of save me from having to do the job of of putting my recommendations into action. I'm an old old lady. I, I don't have very much power. The unions, if they are solid and strong and listen to their workers, uh, they will have a lot of power uh, because the workers can refuse to supply their labor. So if we want healthier workers, at least in North America, we have certainly a need to support the unions. Now, not all unions are the best unions, but when they're good unions and they care about the workers and they take care of the workers' health, then nothing can be more effective at getting improvements in the workplace. For now, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure hearing from you today, Professor Messing. Thank you.